Hi there, I'm Jamie Sweetland. This is episode 17 of The Reading List. So before we get started today, I just want to say uh, I've been off for a couple of weeks. I took a couple weeks off for the holidays. I apologize for not mentioning that in the last episode that I released, but I hadn't really decided whether I was going to take the time off or not. Uh, Ultimately, I decided to take some time to spend the holidays with my family. Um, I did update on the Twitter page and the Facebook page, so if you're curious about any other updates for the future or what's happening with the show, those are great resources to check out. I believe it is facebook.com slash the reading list, and it is uh, reading list pod on Twitter. So without any further ado, today we are discussing Hyperspace by Michio Kaku. This is a nonfiction book. It is about physics specifically uh, quantum physics and some related theories. Um, This book is probably a little dense if you're not familiar already with quantum physics, which I understand most people probably are not. It's a topic that I personally just find fascinating, so I've read a few books on it. I'll do my best to explain kind of the, the building blocks and kind of the basics of giving you a little taste of it so that you can sort of understand whether this is something that would be interesting for you. Um, The synopsis of this book is pretty short. It just says, The author, one of the pioneers of string theory, has produced an accessible guide for the general reader to some of the most formidable modern concepts of mathematics and physics. These include string theory itself, hyperspace, non-Euclidean geometry, Kaluza-Klein theory, and supergravity. So I'm not going to go into all those. I'm just going to kind of touch at a high level on a couple of them. So for starters, quantum physics. So the whole thing with quantum physics is basically that if you look at physics as you probably learned it in high school, it works great for stuff at human scale and at normal temperatures. Once you start getting into the scale of microscopic subatomic particles and even smaller than that, like the things that make up electrons and protons it starts not working the way physics says it should work. So there's been a lot of theories to figure out why that is. Uh, There's been a lot of effort to integrate gravity with the other forces because gravity functions differently from a lot of the other things in physics. It just doesn't seem to fit the puzzle. There are special rules for gravity that don't apply to anything else. And that, that bothers a lot of physicists because it seems like there ought to be a single set of rules that govern all these different interactive forces. And there isn't. So that's kind of one of the big challenges in physics is that they've been trying to find a unifying theory. They call it the grand unifying theory. Or the theory of everything, as the Stephen Hawking movie was entitled. Um, So one of the best examples that I can give that explains quantum mechanics in quantum physics and kind of really lets you know how kind of out there this whole thing seems at first is the two-slit experiment. If you're not familiar with this, the whole idea is you set up, uh, let's say, a, a card with two slits in it and a detector screen behind it. You then shoot a beam of light at it dimly enough that you're shooting one photon at a time. Photon is what makes up light, the tiny particles of energy that light is composed of. So you fire it at one photon at a time. If you fire it just all at once you'll see a, a banding pattern. So if you're not firing at all at once, you'll see a banding pattern on the, on the screen at the back. Because as the light goes through the two sides, the two parts of light that go through the slits hit each other in various places and creates peri- uh, places where there's more shadow and places where there's more light. So you get a striping effect. 
It's the same sort of thing you'd get if you were to put water through two slits. You'd get two sets of ripples coming out of each slit. The ripples would intersect and would create places where there's bigger ripples and smaller ripples or no ripples. So you'd wind up with the same kind of stripiness. It would just be in water instead of light. Water is actually a pretty good analog for this if you're talking about waves, which is the way light is often treated. So, without getting too far into the weeds here, the whole point is if you can slow it down so you have one photon at a time going through these two slits, and you measure which slit the light goes through, you get what you might expect. The light will go through one slit or the other, and you get two bands on the other side, one for each slit where the light has gone through. Makes perfect sense, right? Here's the tricky part. If you do that same experiment and you don't observe any of it until the end, so you close it off, fire them off one at a time, you know they're firing one at a time, but you're not looking, and then you examine the results, you'll see the banding. And the, essentially, essentially meaning that as each particle has gone through the slits, it has essentially gone through both and interfered with itself. And the reason that that as the theory says, the reason that that happens is because what we're actually seeing in these particles is not actually the movement of a particle through a slit to the other side. If you're not observing it, and if it's just in an unobserved state, so you don't know what it is, it exists as a probability. There is a wave that functions, it behaves exactly like that wave of water, and that wave is a probability of the places that that particle might potentially be. So that wave will go through both slits because it could potentially go through either one. On the other side, it creates ripples that will interfere with each other and create the banding pattern, even though there's only one particle. And it's not unless you look at that particle and observe it and determine where it is going that you collapse that probability down to the one thing that has now been selected as the thing that has happened. You have observed one version of that probability. And because you've observed it, you now can't see the rest of the probability. But it doesn't mean it didn't ever exist in the first place. This is a really difficult concept to wrap your head around if you're not familiar with it. Once you get comfortable with it, it starts making a lot of sense. Sort of like there are, if, if you were to throw a ball down a hill, there's a lot of directions it could go. Before it goes in that direction, it could go left, it could go right. They're both equally plausible. You just don't know. If you turn around and look the other way, who knows where it went? It's not unless you're watching it go down that you know, okay, it went left. So you have observed it going left. That doesn't mean that it going right wasn't still a plausibility. And this has some really strange ramifications for particle physics. That, and that's why there's been so much talk about quantum computing, if you've heard that term. Because quantum computing essentially is trying to harness those multiple probability outcomes to essentially calculate two things at once by leveraging that spectrum of possibilities. That's all I'll say about quantum physics as, a, as a, a field, because I know that that's probably really deep in the weeds unless this is something you're interested in. Um, and I'll just touch really quickly on string theory, which... I thought was really interesting. This is the first, my first encounter with string theory. Uh, basically, in order to try to explain interactions between particles at a subatomic scale, it posits that everything's made up of these tiny, tiny little sub-subatomic particles that we call strings. They're like little filaments of, of matter. And essentially, the different kinds of strings combine together to make 
different things or strings combined in different ways make different particles which make different elements which make different materials and the crazy thing about string theory is that it actually explains almost everything the problem is no one really knows why <laughs> unlike most theories that start with okay we've explained piece a now we've expanded it and it explains piece b now we've expanded it, it explains piece c and then you get to the end and you have the entire alphabet explained what string theory kind of does is it says, okay, here's Z, it explains everything, but there's no, there's no backing up of saying, yeah, it works because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We just know, yeah, this works in all cases. We have literally no idea why it works, and we can't, we can't get those building block pieces back out of it. So that's part of this challenge with string theory is to try to derive those building blocks out of the finished product, which is incredibly challenging, and why there are so many physicists working hard on string theory of trying to explain it and understand it better to see if it actually is the best model to explain things. So, as you may have gathered, I find this topic fascinating. I know not everyone will. This will probably go over your head entirely if physics is not your thing to begin with. Um, so, if you're not into physics or deep diving into this kind of science, this book is definitely not for you. You could maybe get something out of it, but you're probably not going to enjoy it. If you like this kind of science and you like quantum physics and trying to understand the way these things work, this is fascinating. It's a great explanation. It makes you feel like you understand it. I highly recommend it. Um, so it's Hyperspace by Michio Kaku, who you may have seen on Science Channel. Uh, he's on a bunch of those specials as a kind of an expert scientist talking about this kind of stuff. He's on a lot of the same things Neil deGrasse Tyson winds up on. Um, so at any rate, Next week, we'll be talking about actually an anthology of stories called Sojourn, an anthology of speculative fiction, edited by Laura K. Anderson. So that will be next week on the reading list. And yes, it will actually be next week. No more time off for a little while. I won't be taking any more uh, episodes off until February. I'll be on vacation a little bit in February. But until then, uh, you can find me on Twitter at ReadingListPod. On Facebook, I believe that is Reading List Podcast or The Reading List Podcast. Um, and you can always email me at readinglistpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, read more books. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.